The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Have your Bibles or your apps. I'm going to ask you to do two things. I'm going to ask you to go to Hebrews chapter 12 and bookmark that. Bookmark Hebrews chapter 12 and then go to Hosea chapter 2, which is where we'll spend the bulk of our time. So bookmark Hebrews 12. We'll get there eventually. And uh, then Hosea 2 is where we'll spend the bulk of our time. Uh, Shannon, our college uh, and singles pastor, young adults pastor, told me that uh, for many of our students, it's our last Sunday with us because school's ended. Is that right? So if you're a student who's, hey, if you guys are leaving us, would you stand? I want to pray for you, actually. So uh, if you guys are taking off for the summer, uh, we're going to have some empty seats over here. Your job is to fill these seats over the next few months. So uh, we're grateful for our students. We've got some over here and some over here. We're grateful for you guys. There we go. So if you're a student, if you're a student, go ahead and stand. We'll pray for all of our students this morning. Father, thank you for these young men and young women. Thank you for the joy they bring to our service weekly. God, would you bless them this summer in the different places they go and different things they do, and most importantly, keep them close to you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Thank these young people for being here once again. How many, how many of you guys are graduating? How many of you guys are graduating? Let me see your hand. Remember to tie back at TBC, okay? You're going to go get a job. You make, make sure that it happens with all the money you're going to make next year, okay? Uh, so away we go. Um, as you guys know, we built a new building in the back. We moved into that building in uh, July of last summer. And the reason we did that is because from nursery through fourth grade only, we have about 500 kids a week, and uh, we needed to expand and remodel and have more space for the kiddos. And so we're grateful for that. We love that. We want to see generations rise up to honor Jesus. Amen? And so that's what we're about. So we're calling this, uh, we're not done yet. We're going to begin remodeling uh, the area we vacated, as well as all children's ministry areas. Area, as well as this lobby area starting the first Sunday in June. So uh, starting the first Sunday in June, all of our children will meet in the Creekside building. So they're moving over there to inhabit that, and they're going to use all the space over there except for one of those uh, rooms and the offices. And for adults, Thornton, uh, TISD has agreed to allow us to use Thornton Elementary School across the street for adult ministries, and we'll be moving over there. So uh, we appreciate TISD and uh, them working with us. We actually paid for the parking lot across the street. They, uh, we jointly use it. It's their property. The good news is uh, once they open the new school, there'll be even more. We'll recapture the parking we lost, and there'll be more parking over there. So uh, we're calling We're not done yet. I'm calling it with my staff exciting chaos, okay? <laughs> exciting chaos. It's going to be chaotic. There's no getting around it. Uh, we have to vacate every part of this building other than the auditorium because of plumbing and electrical stuff that will be taken out and redone. So uh, for in, in the project will not be over until the end of the year. So for the next several months, uh, we'll be in exciting chaos, okay? So uh, there'll be corridors uh, that'll be built, like uh, plywood set up for you to walk through the hallways, etc. And that's pretty exciting to see the plan that has come to us. We've waited to uh, release this to you until we're 100% sure what we're doing until we got all the uh, permissions in line. Uh, here's an architect's rendering of what's going to be happening. Uh, we're going to blow up the lobby space that's out behind you, uh, take some of those classrooms, expand the nursery. So when you walk into the building, uh, this will be more what it looks like. It'll be built on a par with the Creekside building if you've been out there. And uh, so you'll have an expanded area where we can meet in between hours, etc. Uh, and then also 
uh, security is an issue with children's ministries as well as having a space of their own that is updated. So you'll see a check-in area for children's ministry that looks like this. And uh, if you're a dude that wears sunglasses, I'm going to rip them off your face inside a building. Uh, Who thinks of that stuff? I mean, you don't walk around looking like that. And uh, so two of you do, and I'll talk to you after this service. This is an idea what the new nursery check-in area will look like, and uh, so God has blessed us in great ways. That building uh, is occupied. It's been a great move for us, and we're grateful for God continuing to grow our body. So would you pray that we're faithful stewards? We don't do capital campaigns. We don't do pledges. We don't pass an offering plate. We depend upon your generosity to do this stuff, and God has provided through you, and we say to God be the glory great things he's done. God's work done in God's way should not want for God's supply. And so we just faithfully teach the word, love on you, care for you, and uh, we believe it's part of our worship. So uh, that's all you're going to hear about it right there. So it's done, and uh, be generous, and uh, honor the Savior with all he's given you. Amen? Amen. Hosea chapter 2. Hosea chapter 2. Let me pray. Father, thank you for uh, just the, the kids you brought our way, Father, for growing families, for new families. Father, we're grateful for the gospel that goes out in our community. Grateful, Father, for the His Kids ministry that will have expanded space here. Grateful for uh, the the Word being taught to kids on their level. Grateful for the Word as we open it now. So, Spirit of God, would you guide us into truth as you promised you would. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.
video portrays the pain, pain of a broken vow, the pain of a broken heart, the pain of, pain of broken, a broken home, and the pain of broken lives. For some of you, that pain is all too real. You've experienced the pain of adultery. You've experienced the pain of unfaithfulness. You've experienced the pain of rejection, pain that ripped open and laid bare the heart of Hosea. Some of you know that pain personally. One of my sisters sent me this note a number of years ago. said, oh Lord, not my husband, not my love, not my man, not our marriage, never. Where do I put this pain? What do I do with these feelings, this despair? I have to breathe, but I can't breathe. Did she start it? Did he? Did they talk, touch like we talk and touch? Did they laugh? What did he feel? Those were her feelings reserved for my heart, not hers, but for me. Lord, I can't bear this pain. I want to be gone. I want to die. His hands, his eyes, his mouth, they were mine. Change me so I can feel love again. Keep me pure. Don't let me sin. Let me forgive and forgive and that wonder from you. Guard my mouth, my heart. Hide me, carry me, lest I die. Some of you know that pain. Some of you experience that pain. Some of you are living that pain right now. It's a pain produced by adultery and unfaithfulness and rejection. Just as Hosea's heart was broken, torn, and shredded, so is the heart of God broken, torn, and shredded when the nation of Israel turned their back upon him. And his heart is torn and shredded when we, his people, are unfaithful and turn our back on him as well. Just as you saw in that video when someone doesn't want to be in a marriage and how difficult it is, and that's what takes place when we turn our back upon God, when we go days without talking to him and weeks without worshiping him and months without uh, spending time in his love letter to us and years without serving or giving to him. But here's the good news. As a loving father, as a merciful father, as a gracious father, as a caring father, he seeks to woo back the prodigal. And that's what Hosea chapter 2 is all about. Hosea chapter 2 is about God's tough love in spite of the rejection of the nation of Israel of his love. And so when we read Hosea chapter 2, which we're going to study in a second and look at it, what we recognize is that God loves his wayward children, and he will do anything to draw us back to himself. And so he gives the nation of Israel what we would call tough love to woo them back to himself. So I want you to journey with me. I want you to journey to a foreign land, the land of Israel. I want you to journey back in time, the time of Hosea. But the tragedy is what we're going to read about is hauntingly familiar. It's a story that many of us in this room have lived out. It's a story that the majority of our society has lived out. And so we look at their unfaithfulness, the unfaithfulness of Hosea, of Hosea's wife, Gomer, and Israel's unfaithfulness. We're, we're going to see a time that parallels our day and age. It's a time when the nation of Israel is economically prosperous, but it so often happens that economic prosperity has created an independence from God. And they begin to believe in themselves, and they begin to, to, to not trust the giver of the gifts, but they took the gifts and rejected the giver. And that's what happened in Hosea's life, and that's what happened in the nation of Israel. And sadly, I think it's what happens in churches across our land today, and it happens in your life, and it happens in my life as well. We accept the gifts but we don't really embrace the giver of the gifts. And so therefore, we find ourselves just like the nation of Israel. Well, Dave Tate was with you last week when we were gone. You, you saw that uh, the nation of Israel was in a time of prosperity, but they turned their back upon God. And Hosea's family became a living illustration of what was happening in the nation. It, it became a living illustration of God's impending judgment as well as God's relentless love. And so when we come to Hosea chapter 2, there's an interplay throughout the chapter. 
A part of it is going to refer to Israel turning its back on God, and part of it is Goma turning her back upon her husband Hosea. And, and honestly, it's hard to discern which is which. And so we're going to treat this as, as, a, as a parallel to both. Hosea's family becomes a parallel to what's happening in the nation of Israel. As a message of God inflamed the heart of the prophet, he would go out and prophesy. In fact, the Hebrew word for prophet, we've looked at this before, is nabim. It means to bubble forth within. So the prophet would have words given to him by God to speak to the nation, and he would go out and prophesy. We know to prophesy, though, sadly, his wife went out to play. Her heart grew cold and distant from her husband, just like the hearts of the people of Israel grew cold and distant from their God. And so what happens next is children are born into the family. The first one is named Jezreel. If you're with us last week, as Dave was teaching you, there's a second child born. It's a daughter, and it's found in, her name is found in verse 6. It says, name her Lo Ruama. In Hebrew, the word Lo means no. No Ruama, no Ruama, not pitied, not having compassion. God's saying, I will no longer have compassion on you. If you drop down to verse 9, it says, and the Lord said, name him. It's a third child born to them, Lo Ami. The Hebrew word Lo means no. Ami, my people, you are no longer my people, God is saying. And from studying the text, I think that these are probably children of prostitution and harlotry. I don't even think Hosea is the father. I, I think what happened is Gomer becomes this prostitute and she goes out to do the things that prostitutes do and, and she becomes pregnant and these are not even Hosea's children. I get that from chapter 2 if you drop down to verse 4. I will have no compassion on her children because they are children of harlotry. For their mother has played the harlot, she has conceived them when she acted shamefully. And so what we see is that the prophet Hosea is a single father, basically, that he now has three children, no wife. His bed was once a bed of tenderness, but now it's a bed of tears. It was once a bed of love, and now it's a bed of loneliness. And some of you are saying, Gary, my heart's breaking because that's where we are. Gary, that's where we have been. That's where I have been. I've experienced this. I know what you're talking about. It was once a time when we were closer, once a time when things were right, but no longer is that the case. And, and so Gomer and Hosea's life and their family and their marriage becomes a picture of what's happening in the nation of Israel. And so the prophet's heart is inflamed. He preaches the message. He comes home to an empty house filled with kids, but no wife. As he preaches the message, I'm sure he was scorned because everybody's going to laugh at a prophet who preaches about God, but his wife is following other gods. And so a lot of Hosea chapter 2 is about rejected love. It's about the nation of Israel rejecting God's love, and it's about Gomer rejecting Hosea's love. In, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, what we see is God's relentless love, and it, it's echoed in, in Hosea's life, and God concocts a plan, or, or, or Hosea concocts a plan to get his wife Gomer, just as God pursues us as well. Hosea attempts to woo his wife Gomer back. His faithfulness in pursuing her is a picture of God's faithfulness in pursuing us when we're prodigals. It's God pursuing us when we're prodigals. And Hosea will provide for his wife even though she is away from home. And she would attribute this to her lovers just as the nation of Israel would do the same. And I get that from Hosea chapter 2 beginning in verse 8. She does not know it is I who has given her these things. In my mind, I picture Hosea concocting a plan. I need to woo my wife back, so I'm going to give her the things she's not getting from these other men. And God is saying, I've done the same thing for the nation of Israel. Look at what he gave her. I gave her grain, new wine, oil. I lavished her with silver and gold. That's verse 8 of chapter 2. And then when you drop down, you see that in spite of receiving the gifts, she rejected the giver of the gifts. The nation of Israel rejected God as well as Gomer rejecting Hosea. 
In verse 13, I will punish her for the days of Baal when she used to offer sacrifice and adorn herself with jewelry and earrings and follow her lovers. So here's what I picture in my mind, my friends. Hosea's life is filled with hopeless days and sleepless nights. He's struggling. When I look at the chronology of Hosea, I can't determine. I know the nation of Israel is unfaithful for decades, but I have no idea how long this marriage is in chaos. I don't know if days turn into weeks and weeks turn into months and months turn agonizingly into years. The scriptures don't tell us. But we do know the pain of what he's gone through. We do know the agony of what he's experiencing. We do know that what is happening is a picture of what's taking place in the nation. Hosea's life and Hosea's family is a picture It's a picture of what is happening in the nation of Israel and we see the unfaithfulness of the nation and the unfaithfulness of Gomer. He provides all these gifts. They accept the gifts but reject the giver of the gifts. And I'm so grateful that doesn't happen today, aren't you? Ever happened to you? Hey God, I want your blessing, your blessing, your blessing, your blessing, but I live in disobedience, disobedience, disobedience. See God, I I want you to give me but I'm not going to follow. Basically what was happening here, we find the nation of Israel were bowing down to idols. In fact, it says, uh, if you look at verse 8, I gave her all these things, lavished her with silver and gold, and they were used for Baal. They are used for Baal or Baal, however you want to pronounce it. They were used for false gods, to worship false gods. God gave them all these gifts, but they took these gifts, instead of worshiping God, that they gave them to Baal. They would go and offer them to this Canaanite fertility goddess and somehow called prostitution worship. And then there was a god Molech, which involved child sacrifice, and said somehow that's worship as well. And so all the na- although the nation was economically prosperous and glowing in many ways, I mean, there was a car in every garage and a chicken in every pot, to use the expression of the last century. They're prospering. They have everything they could want, but they've turned their backs upon God. Basically, they've substituted a walk with God for the idols. The blessings of God became idols. It happened in the nation of Israel another time. Actually, it happened numerous times, but there's one that specifically pointed out to us in the Scriptures. There was a time when the nation of Israel is wandering through the wilderness. Remember the wilderness wanderings? The nation escapes Egypt. They're headed to the promised land, but they wander for 40 years. Well, the, the entire time they're wandering through to, to, in the wilderness, rather, towards the promised land, especially early on, they complain, 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 complain. I mean, it was nag, 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 nag. You remember that? And if you go to Numbers chapter 21, write it down, take a look at it later. I'm not making it up. God gets tired of it. And so God sends fiery serpents to kill people. Remember that story? I mean, God sends fiery serpents. People begin to die. Moses cries out to God. God says, what I want you to do is I want you to put a bronze snake, kill a snake, bronze it, stick it up on a pole or a standard, hold it up, and the people that look at it will be spared. That's a pretty interesting way to do it. First of all, I think it's a good thing because the only good snake is a dead snake, so killing a snake, and that's okay. But so, so they do that, and they put the snake on, in the stick. Anybody looks at it, they live. They don't die. And, and so the nation of Israel continues to wonder. And then some time passes, and there's a godly king who comes into power. His name is Hezekiah, Hezekiah. And uh, Hezekiah is a godly king, and he decides he needs a nation to worship God, not idols. And so Numbers 21 tells the first story. Second Kings 18 finishes the story. It says this, Hezekiah did right in the sight of the, of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, and there were no kings like him. He clung to the Lord. He did not depart from him. He removed the high places. 
He broke down the sacred pillars. He cut down the Asher. The high places were places where they went to worship false gods, broke down the sacred pillars they worshiped before these pillars. The Asher were also poles and things that they worshiped. He also broke into pieces. This is 2 Kings 18.4. Write it down. Take a look at it later. Type in your device, whatever you're doing. He removed all these things. He also broke into pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the sons of Israel burned incense to it, and it was called Nehushtan. This is 2 Kings 18.4. So if you pick that verse apart, several things are happening here. If you burn incense to something, what does it mean? You're worshiping it. And so they had made an idol out of this bronze snake. And they even named it. They named it Nehushtan. They were not creative in their naming ability. The Hebrew word Nehushtan, you know what it means? A piece of bronze. Let's worship a piece of bronze. That's literally what they're saying. We're going to worship and burn incense to a piece of bronze. And, and then when you look at this, they broke it into pieces. Hezekiah, the reforms of Hezekiah were taking all these false idols, these false gods, getting rid of them. And one of them is this bronze serpent. Now, how many years do you think it was from the time that, uh, that uh, they, they, they put this bronze serpent up so that they could be spared to the time of Hezekiah? Do you think it's 10 years? Do you think they carted this thing around and worshiped and burned incense for 10 years? What about 20 years? 40 years? Did I get 60 years? 100 years maybe? What about 150 years? 200? What about 250? 300? I feel like an auctioneer up here. (laughs) Can I get a 400? Can I get a 500? Can I get 600? You would have to give me 700. 700 years they're carting a snake off. That's a long time. We've been a nation since 1776. 1776, 2017. How many years is that? I'm not good at math. How many years? Tim, how many years is that? You're a doctor. You're supposed to know that stuff. Not that many. It's not 700. You guys are supposed to be good at math. What's the deal? So, so what, what, what you, it's about, I think we've been a nation about 250 years, roughly about that. So 250 years. They carted this sucker around for 700 years, named it, burned incense to it, and worshipped it. That's what they did. That's insane. What were they doing? They were worshipping the gift and not the giver of the gift. See, that snake didn't save them. The power of God is what saved them. Now, sometimes we have idols just like that, good things that become bad things. Your family can become an idol. Your spouse can become an idol. Your car can become an idol. Your house can become an idol. Your accessories can become an idol. Shopping can become an idol. Used to be you had to go to a mall shop. Now you pull out your phone and shop in bed. Amen? Amen? Amen. She refuses to look at me. Wow. I mean, now just shopping bad. I'm on first name. Me and my dad were on first name basis with our mailman, UPS, and FedEx drivers. We know them all. But anything can become an idol. Yeah, I've had an idol for a long time. I've had two idols. You know what they are? And, well, broader than Bluebell. Food. Food's been an idol in my life. It has been. I mean, it's been an idol. I mean, I, I get up in the morning, I think about food. I go through the day, I think about food. I come dinner time, I think about food. 
I get ready to go to bed, and the pantry's howling, eat me, eat me, eat me, eat me, eat me, eat me. Chips. Never met a chip I don't like, ever. Most chips are nicer than people, I found out along the way. But it's an idol. It became an idol. A couple of years ago, Danny and I, Danny's our executive pastor. We're both way fat, and uh, he's lost a... Just the truth, you know it. I mean, he's lost about 100 pounds. I've lost about 30 pounds. I need to lose about 30 more. And, uh, but we planned a trip three years ago. So I walked in. It's two weeks away. It's a, it's a uh, secession planning for senior pastors. Guys getting old like me, going to retire one day in the future. And so we're going to go to this meeting. It's for senior pastors, executive pastors. And it's down in Kima, now south of Houston. Uh, you, you know where Kima is with the boardwalk and all that. So I walked in his office and said, hey, we need, to plan, we, need to, we need to plan this trip right now. And he said, I've been looking at hotels next to what? Restaurants. When we go on a trip, Beth can tell we're going on a trip, I do the planning. The first thing I think about is where we're going to eat. Can I get anybody else to confess that same sin with me? I mean, it's sick. It's been an idol in my life. My second idol is what? LSU football, LSU football. And uh, we drafted, we had eight players drafted, three in, the, three in the first round. What else you want to know? I read three stinking websites about LSU football every day of my life. And uh, I, I got rid of a rivals account last year because I thought this is stupid. I mean, I'm, I'm wasting time and I hate to waste time. But it became an idol. I've walked with Christ for over 40 years. I've been preaching at TBC for over 35 years. I've got idols. So don't come to me and say, Pastor Gary, I don't have any idols. Give me five minutes with your wife. I'll find out what they are. (laughs) Or your husband, ladies, and he can tell me what they are. See, we all have those stinking things. That's why John ends 1 John chapter 5 with these words, little children, guard yourself from idols. And the problem in the nation of Israel in Hosea chapter 2 is they worshiped an idol rather than God. But here's the great news. What does a loving father do when his children become prodigals? What does a loving father do when his child rebels? What a loving father does is he exercises tough love. What a loving mother does, what a loving parent does. And that's what God does in Hosea chapter 2. In fact, there's a series of I wills in Hosea chapter 2. Beginning, um, let me get to Hosea chapter 2. In Hosea chapter 2, he he says, beginning in verse 6, I will hedge you up with thorns. I will build a wall around you. We call that a hedge of protection. God says, hey, I'm going to discipline you. And then he he says, I'm going to keep you to myself. Sadly, the nation didn't follow after that. Although God wanted to protect them, they didn't follow after that. And so beginning in verse, continuing in verse nine, therefore I will take back my grain at harvest time. Verse nine, I will take away my wool and my flax given to cover your nakedness. Verse 10, I will uncover her lewdness. Verse 11, I will put an end to all of her gaiety, her feasts, her moons, her Sabbaths, all the festival assemblies. Verse 12, I will destroy vines and fig trees. Verse 12, I will make them a forest and the beasts of the field will devour them. Verse 13, I will punish them. When you read those verses, all those I wills, if you write in your Bibles under line, I will, I will, I will, I will. It's a description of destruction and of discipline. God's saying, I'm going to take away the blessing so that you will love me. 
See, sometimes we get so absorbed in the blessings of God that God says, I'm going to remove that from you so you'll turn to me. Tim Chester, who wrote a commentary in Hosea, said, sometimes God removes his blessings to prevent us from finding satisfaction with other loves or lovers to woo us back to himself. You see, when we have so much, so much, and you fill in that blank of whatever it is, it can be family, it can be friends, it can be spouse, it can be stuff. God says, if you don't worship me, I love you too much not to discipline you. I love you too much not to discipline That's what a loving father does. I mean, when I was a kid, there were sometimes, believe it or not, I needed a spanking. Didn't happen. Two of my, both of my sisters are here. Two of my sisters, I only have two sisters, they're both here. My dad's down here, and uh, they're all visiting. And so, not my dad, he lives with us. He doesn't visit, he stays. But when I was a kid, if I did something, and usually I'd pick on one of my sisters, my dad would come to me. There was no timeout in our house. You know what I'm talking about? I, I don't know where that whole timeout concept came from. It didn't exist in our house. My dad didn't say, go in your room and think about it. The kid goes in his room. I'm going to tell you parents, my young parents here, they don't go in their room and think about what they just did. Okay? That doesn't happen. They go in their room and play video games. So my dad would say, son, did you do that? And I said, yes, dad. And I began to confess every sin I've ever committed in my whole lifetime at that point in time. And so he would reach for his, what did dad do, girls? Belt. He reached for his belt. Yeah. And when my dad reached for that belt, it was like, oh God, here we go. And uh, so my dad would always say what your dad said. We all have the same dad. I've used this a hundred times. Okay. So my dad would say, son, I'm doing this because I'm thinking this is a strange kind of love right here. And then he would say, this is going to hurt you. Your dad, we all have the same dad, every culture in the whole world. I've done this all over the world. Africa, Ukraine, everybody's dad's the same dad. And he would say, you know, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. And I'm thinking, right. Let me, you bend over and let me hit and see which kids hurt the most. But here's the reality. I, I, I told Bev, I'm never going to say I tired kids. And so our daughter, Sarah, I mean, she was, she was, she was tough. She, she was, she needed the, she needed, we didn't have belts. We kept paddles. We had paddles in every room of the house, both cars, and in my office. <laughs> we had paddles everywhere. She needed it too. And, and so I found myself getting ready to paddle Sarah. And you know what I'm saying? Hey, sweetie. Hey, sweetie. This, 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 this hurts me more than it hurts you. And it probably did, but, and then, hey, I'm doing this because I love you. That's what a father does with wayward children. That's what a heavenly father does with his wayward children. So he says, I will, I will, I will, I will. I'm going to put a hedge of protection around you. I'm going to take away your feast and festivals. And ultimately, he sent the nation into exile apart from him. Hebrews chapter 12, you've got a bookmarked. He says quite simply in verse 6, It says, my son do not, verse 5 says, my son do not lightly regard the discipline of God, nor faint when he reproves you. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Now, what does the discipline of God look like? Well, it comes in different ways. Sometimes the discipline of God is what Chester says on this, he removes a blessing. Sometimes he drowns us in blessing. You read Romans 1, 2, and 3, he says he gave him over, gave him over, gave him over. And sometimes the discipline of God is to refine us by withdrawing. Sometimes it's to refine us by saying, you want it, you got it. I'm going to bury you in it. Not in an unloving way, but in a loving way. 
Because our Father is a tender, gracious Father who loves us with enough tough love to draw us back to himself. Now, when I read this story, and I read of Goma's continual unfaithfulness and Hosea's love for her, I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. For most of us, if our spouse prostituted themselves, himself or herself, we'd say adios. For God, the nation prostituted itself over and over. We embrace idols over and over and over. And God says, hey, I love you. I'm going to put a hedge of protection around you. Nobody else is going to get you. I, I'm going to take away all these blessings so you can see only me. Because that's what a loving father does with his children. Hebrews 12, God disciplines those that he loves. So my friend, if you find yourself the prodigal today, you may be a gomer in a marriage right now. You may be having an affair with someone obviously you're not married to. Or you may be having an affair with pornography on a computer right now. Or you may be far from God. You've not served God in years. You've not given to God in years. You've not opened up his love letter in weeks. You haven't prayed in days. You find yourself distant from God. Just as Gomer found herself distant from Hosea and the nation from God. What I want you to know is the tough love of the Father will draw you home. John Calvin said, it's bad to live under a prince who permits nothing, but it's worse to live under one who permits everything. And God the Father is not going to permit everything. There's a day when he says, that's enough. In fact, in 1 John chapter 5, it says, there's a sin that leads into death. He may take you home. Here's the reality. He loves you so much that he's going to love you with a tough love to restore you as his wayward child. So if you're far from God today, distant from God, you're embracing sin and not embracing the Savior. Been a long time since you've opened the book and read it. Been a long time since you've served and given. Today's a day when you can come home. Come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes, a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Come to the altar. His arms are open wide.